Hey guys, everybody turn around and see. That's Noah Phillips. He's back. Yeah. I asked him, did he want me to call him out? He said no. So when I got out of the service, I outranked him. So, so you gotta stay a long time, you know. Anyway, welcome home, bro. If you have your Bibles, look at Habakkuk chapter number two this morning. This this evening, whenever it is. Uh, Noah walking that door has thrown me off in a good way. <clears throat> you know, I want to tell you guys a quick story. I got to do a lot better than I did at the four o'clock service. I do. Pray, y'all pray for me. <laughs> we went way over. Um, um, you know, growing up, growing up, I went to my first five years of public school in Halifax County, which sounds exotic. If you don't know where it is, it's literally just right up the road. And um, here's something that you, you might get the implication of like this, or you might not. Kindergarten through 12th grade rode the same bus. Uh, if you've ever been picked on, you know that creates, the moment you get on a bus, you're in a, you're in a, you're in a, in a minefield. Uh, that many different age groups, uh, you're susceptible to a lot of bullying. You get to the elementary school, they combine buses. You get to the junior high, they combine buses. That's how that works. Well, we also have assigned seats on my bus. And I was assigned to sit with a boy who was seven years older than me. The reason I knew that, our families knew each other, our dads knew each other, our dads did the same thing. They were tobacco farmers, we were tobacco farmers. Uh, there was three of those guys, there was four of us guys, we were all friends. And, but man, he just decided to start picking on me. And, and in some kind of brutal ways, like uh, really, you could be really mean at times. And uh, one day we got, I got off the bus, and my brother grabbed my chin, turned my head real quick, and he says, what's that on your neck? And you know, snitches get stitches, so like, I wasn't gonna say anything. But, you know, he's like, what's that on your neck? And my other brother just looks at it, says, it's, it's, it's fingerprints. And uh, I don't want to give away the guy's name. Uh, let's just call him um, Beelzebub. Um, and so my brother says, that's, that's Beelzebub's handprint right there. And he had choked me so hard that he had left striations on my neck. Uh, but that's okay. I'm just going to grow up and kill him. So I wasn't going to tell him. Um, but my brothers kind of had this look between them like, okay, you know, okay. And I just knew what they were thinking. And so I told them, I said, don't do that. Our bus driver's name was Randolph. I said, you know, Randolph will put y'all out and make you walk. Did y'all see that happening today? A kid being so bad, you just put them out on the bus and wherever they were. They just, well, they used to do it. So the next morning, no joke, the next morning, I get on the bus. And this, this guy, Beelzebub, would always get up and make me get inside where he could torture me. And uh, so he steps back in, and he's about to sit down, and he just disappears. My two brothers grab him and just started beating him up, just like that fast. Well, the bus, you know, of course, screeches to a halt. The bus driver tells him to break it up. He, uh, he tells them all they have to get off the bus and walk. And, and, he, and he says, wait a minute. All right, Beelzebub, you stay on the bus. He says, you don't know it, but I'm saving your life right now. Because if you get off the bus with them two boys, they're going to kill you. And uh, in that moment, usually in my life, being a little brother, it just really stank. It was terrible. They picked on me nonstop. But in that moment, I felt like being a little brother was the coolest thing on the face of the planet. Like my brothers, man, they're going to watch out for me. Now, looking back, it's just a metaphor. Looking back, I, I actually see how, how Jesus loves his church. You know, at, at, at pain, he sends his son to die on a cruel cross to defend us from the biggest bully of all, which is death. You know, at pain, 
My brothers knew. They knew our bus driver. They knew if they were going to defend me, at pain they were going to defend me. They're going to be put off the bus. They're going to be punished at school. They're going to be punished by our dad. But they decided that it was worth stopping that bully, you know? When, when I read in Habakkuk, I see the image of a saving God who at his own pain says to his people, I'll step in. I'll save you. I'll stop the bullying. I'll crush the bullies. I'll crush the bullies. You just make sure that you trust in me and you hang on to me and I'll handle business for you. Tonight as we turn to Habakkuk, I want to tell you, you're going to see three things. You're going to see some condemnation on these Chaldeans. And I actually have this bit of difficult news. I think as we're looking at the Chaldeans, I think we're going to see American culture right there with it. And that's going to be scary for us. I believe we're no better and we're absolutely no worse than these Chaldeans. Wow. You're also, you're also going to see incredible comfort. God's going to say, look, I see this, but I'm going to step into that. And then we're going to receive a very difficult challenge. We're going to have to look at ourselves and say, is our identity more rooted in being American or is our identity more rooted in being disciples of Jesus? Because here's the truth. America will come to an end, but disciples of Jesus never will. So if we're rooted in being Americans, if we're so committed to being Americans that it, that it corrupts our being disciples of Jesus, we're in trouble. So we're going to see this, guys. We're going to see condemnation, comfort, and challenge. Are you ready to go on an adventure with me? Let's go. Habakkuk chapter number 2, beginning at verse number 6. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to, the, to cities and all who dwell in them. Verse 9. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life, for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beast that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake to a silent stone, Arise, can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple, that all the earth keep silence before him. 
Father, open to us the words of this prophet that they may become prophet to us. Your word is discerned by spiritual means, so we need spiritual help. Holy Spirit, make us ready to receive this implanted word. May it take deep fruit and bear big fruit for our good, for your glory. And make your church here in America as salt and light in a tasteless dark world. In Jesus we pray, amen and amen. The same key thought from last week, this week. Ultimacy always rules immediacy. The king is coming. And the truth is that whether it's the Babylonians or any nation that God uses for his purposes, if that nation is wicked, there is a coming judgment. God is going to deal with these nations. When we think of justice, what you should put in the bank regarding justice is this simple. Evil oppressors shall justly suffer that which they've done to others. Or if I were to put it in country boy terms, I'd say it like this. Everyone reaps what they sow unless they repent before the Savior. Everyone reaps what they sow. Let me just really quickly use a few verses to build this case about reaping and sowing. Y'all ready? I'm going to say these so fast, you'll just want to jot the references down and check them out later. Consider Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. It reads just like this. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Okay, what does that teach you? Real quick, it teaches you this. You can sow to the flesh or you can sow to the Spirit. So there's fleshly sowing, spiritual sowing. You got it? How about this next reference? 2 Corinthians 9, 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Two huge principles here. You can sow in the flesh bountifully. And you will reap in the flesh bountifully. You can sow in the spirit bountifully. And you can reap in the flesh. I mean in the spirit bountifully. You see, you can sow spiritual, you can sow flesh. So what do you want to sow and how do you want to sow? Here's another principle. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 8. Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity, and the rod of his fury will fail. Man, this is, this is doing this study has become one of my favorite proverbs. i got to be honest, I never really noticed this proverb until I was studying Habakkuk. Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity, and the rod of his fury will fail. Now, what does that mean? If you are sowing injustice, pretty soon your society is going to fall apart. Calamity. You're going to reap calamity. We've seen, we, you know, we see the world right now and it doesn't seem like, it's like, man, there's nations who for tens of years, dozens of years, decades, many decades, centuries have been sowing injustice. It doesn't seem like they'll ever reap calamity. Well, if they don't in this life, that nation will stand before holy God. And even then, not every nuclear bomb a nation has will be able to stand against the fingerprint of God. God could flick his fingertip and destroy everything. Like flicking the bug off of it. Their fury will fail at some point. How about Job 4, verse 8? As I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. Or let's get a positive one that still gives us the truth of sowing and reaping. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Here's your Caleb verse. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. 
Or here's another one of these difficult Proverbs. Proverbs 11, 18. The wicked earns deceptive wages, but one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. All over the scriptures, the principle, and there's more. There's a, there's a bunch more. I think there's about 50 passages that show us clearly what sowing and reaping is like. And so here's, here's what God is saying to Habakkuk. Habakkuk, I want you to hang on. I want you to walk by faith because these evil oppressors will suffer. They'll suffer justly. They're going to reap what they sow, brother. They're going to reap what they sow. And I'm going to tell you what God goes on to say. Here's a spoiler alert. They're going to reap in the exact same way they sow. They did this. This is going to happen. If they did that. That's going to happen. What do believers need to hear in the midst of it is however broken and mean and cruel the world is, you keep walking by faith. And also, what are you sowing? What are you sowing into? And how, to what degree are you sowing it? Secondly, just to open things up, just to set our mind on something. The second thing, just to open our framework here is the Lord will someday reign as righteous, glorious king and is sovereignly reigning even now. Now, why do we say it like that? It's simple. One day God's going to set everything in order. He is already reigning, but in his mysterious timing, he is permitting some things for a season. And what he's telling his children is, don't you worry. I'm a coming. I'm going to deal with this stuff. I'm going to deal with you, and I'm going to deal with them. I'm going to deal with it. He is already sovereignly reigning. Just for us, a lot of times it doesn't feel like it in the moment. It doesn't feel like it. Well, here's where we mess up. God has actually revealed to us across the scope of Scripture that his patience is his kindness. To us, we're like, man, you're letting all these bad people go free. God, do something right now. He's going, now, hold on. Some of y'all are the bad people. <laughs> some people you love are some of them bad people. If I execute perfect justice, more people will be wrapped up in my punitive justice than you imagine. So I'm being patient because I'm kind. In other words, like, we want God to get them. Problem is, we might be them. That's tough, isn't it? What may be more disturbing to me is that when I look at this example of, of the Babylonians, of the Chaldeans, I see more of America in the Chaldeans than I do in Israel. I see more us more as the aggressors and perpetrators of injustice than I do the victims of it. And that's tough, so it leads me to a probing question. Do you see your identity more as an American or as a disciple of Jesus? Only you can answer that. And I'm going to tell you, I've been wrestling. I mean, I'm serious. If you know me, I'm a very patriotic guy. And if you don't know that, then you don't know me. Like, like you know, I'm a vet. I volunteered. I totally love our country. One of the reasons Karen and I got married on July 4th because it was the fifth anniversary of our first date. That's just one of the reasons. The other reason is because I flat out love America. I love the stars and bars. I love our history. I love who we are. But when I look at our history, man, we're just full, full of blood. We're full of, we're full of the same things. And so it really becomes confrontational to me. Like, am I, am I more... Am I more clothed in Jesus or clothed in America? Do I wrap a flag around my shoulders and claim my love across, or do I bear the cross instead of wearing the flag? I mean, whew, where's the balance between both? 
Well, friend, here's what I want to show you. I want to show you five condemnations on the Chaldeans, one beautiful promise in the middle of the con con condemnations, and a command. And what's going to bubble up out of this is we're going to be faced with the challenge of how we're going to live. We're going to hear comfort to God from God about living in the middle of wickedness, and we're going to see the condemnation that God has in his wickedness. Let's go on a really quick roller coaster ride. Y'all ready? If you're ready, say amen. amen. I need some help tonight. Got one from Gracie. That's good. Condemnation number one, simple. Simply put, for plundering others, they will be plundered themselves. Okay, you see it right here. Look at the latter part of verse six. Woe to him who heaps up what's not his own. In other words, they have plundered. They have stolen. They have, by means of force, they have gotten other people's stuff. What is the, what is the, the sort of country boy way I would say this? They are characterized by this. They pursue inordinate greed. Gimme, 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 gimme. Karen and I went for a ride yesterday, and you know, uh, I was looking for historical markers, but you know what sort of, you know what sort of I noticed? Is you can like literally be in the middle of nowhere. We were in the middle of nowhere in Chatham County, out on 501, going kind of towards Sanford, you know, that way. And just, there was nothing else around. No store. There wasn't even a Dollar General. And there was a huge, you know, store your stuff place. You know, what do you call this? You know, store your stuff place. And they had a big sign out front, more space added. You know, you don't go to many countries where everywhere you turn, the country has so much stuff that we got to run some of it out of our house and hold it in some other place. And you know what's funny is that's a condemnation on America. We think it sort of signifies how blessed we are. It signifies how we misunderstood and misused blessing. That we just piled up. Look at our military. We, we bullied the whole world. Why? What's our motivation behind it? Why do we have to be the police in the whole world? Now, I've landed on some foreign soil and asked my own, my own self that question. Why am I here? I mean, I know I'm here because they told me I was here, but why did they tell me to come here? These people don't want me here. These people don't like me. They don't like us. What are we doing? Well, we're just drinking their milkshake. In the name of democracy and freedom, we're just drinking their milkshake. What is this condemnation? Can you see America now? I don't know about y'all, but I can. I don't think the Chaldeans, the Chaldeans would have said, we're just being good Chaldeans. I'm proud to be a Chaldean, where at least I know I'm free. And I'm glad to plunder Israel just because they're beside of me. And I'll gladly stand up with Nebuchadnezzar and defend her still today. There ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless Chaldean names. I just made that up right now. Fresh off, fresh wax. Fresh wax, baby, fresh wax. And I, I don't know if we can get into a contest to find out who's most patriotic. But I feel pretty patriotic, but it scares me when I read this. And i got to ask myself, am I getting, you know, like, as my friend Sylvester Clay would say, am I marinating more in being an American, or am I marinating more in being a Christian? In other words, which one is seeping through me and shaping me? 
Second condemnation. Second condemnation is found in verse, verses 9 through 11. Uh, you know, go, go right there where it says, Woe. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house. Woe. What they did, as Casey so eloquently gave it to the elders, for living in safety and luxury off the blood and oppression of others, they themselves will be shamed and killed. But what does it indicate? It indicates that they had a hunger to dominate. They had a hunger to dominate. Now, I see the time, and I probably shouldn't do this, but I really feel compelled to tell a story about how I see we can, we can wind up in this place without realizing we did it. So, if you, you know, most, most of the faces I know in this room, I don't always know who's watching online. Some, most of you guys know my story. I used to have a terrible drinking problem. I've always had a terrible problem with anger. And I don't know if y'all know that when you're, when you got anger and you drink, that's not, that's, that's a bad combination, right? So I'm standing outside of a bar in Weijambu, South Korea. And uh, everything that happens next had to be told to me. I don't remember it. I still don't remember it. But I saw videos, and I can't deny it. A guy opens a door and hits me over the top of my head with a champagne bottle. Uh, 160-some stitches, 140-some. I, I can never remember that little detail. In my head, when it was all said and done. My skull was cracked. I mean, you come rub my head and you, know, feel, you feel the scars. And somehow, I guess because I was so drunk that I didn't even get knocked out. I went down on one knee, and according to the camera, I went down on one knee, and when I come up, I beat this man, almost beat him to death. And um, I don't remember any of it. I was wearing this uh, sort of jersey shirt, you know, with the sort of three-quarter sleeves on it. It was white, except MTV was sprawled across in rainbow colors. The whole shirt was soaked red in my blood. And uh, this was the question at my trial. I had to go on trial, military trial. This was the question. At what point did I stop just defending myself and convert over into trying to kill that man? And how conscious was I over the shift? If you watch the beginning of it, it was clear-cut self-defense. But somewhere in the middle of it, I overcame him and in a rational, sober mind, I would have just stopped. You know, does that make sense to anybody? Y'all look at me like I got three heads. But in my state of rage, the rationale was gone. And I, I did not, I was not trying to just defend myself. I wanted him out of commission. And it was three cameras that together told one story that I, I lost it, y'all. I lost it. That, that story that is told to me, if you would have told me without the video, I would have said, you crazy. You cannot have this much blood on you and do that. You, you cannot have this much of your own blood on you and do what y'all are telling me I do. But I watched the video. These grainy, black and white, 1991 videos. Security cameras, right? Still on tape, right? They had to go get the tapes. They told a story of a guy who in, in one moment starts to defend himself and in another moment is hungry to dominate somebody. I think in our national lust, 
we at some times have had noble ends in getting involved. You know, we stamped out the Kaiser and Hitler, and we've stood against communism. And somewhere in the midst of our righteous defense of the, of the, of the pained and poor, we have gotten the upper hand, and now as a nation, we're hungry to dominate. And I can see it. And I can see how you could do it and not even be aware of it. And what I'm afraid of is it's our culture just like it's the Chaldeans' culture. It's easy to see in the black and white videos the rise of the, of the you know, Nazi Germany. You can see it. But do we see in the grainy videos of our own history the rise of domineering America? And do we see how that affects us? How that culture seeps through the very nature of who we are? I wonder. These people pursued an ordinary degree. They had a hunger to dominate, and that's not even all. Condemnation number three is that they commit atrocities. Look at verse number 12. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. What does that tell me? They used horrible methods for selfish ends. If no one else is familiar with this song, I know at least Andrew and I think Shannon's heard the song. There's this song by a group called the Avid Brothers called We Americans. And it has this very striking line in it. It just gets in my, it totally gets in my honky European face. It says we, 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 we built our nation with stolen people on stolen land. And, and you know, you can, you know, you, you can throw up, yeah, but, right? Yeah, but the Roman Empire, yeah, but the Persians, yeah, but the Greek. Yeah, but there's all sorts of people across history who, in their godless pursuit of inordinate greed and their hunger to dominate and their use of horrible methods, have used the excuse of imperialism to part from the living God and behave horrendously. And guess what? If you look at our history and you're a bit honest, we've joined the ranks. Now, I'm not going to try to deny our history. I'm not going to try to rewrite it. I'm just asking, is the church more, are we more shaped by being American or are we more shaped by being disciples of Jesus? That's what we've got to begin wrestling with. Because what he says here is the, the condemnation isn't as clearly stated here, uh, but, but what he says to him is, woe to the people who build a town with blood and found a city on iniquity. Why? Look at verse 12. Look at it very, I mean verse 13. Look at it carefully. Behold, it's not from the Lord. This is, what is he getting ready to say? This is not from the Lord. It's not from the Lord, it's not from the Lord that a people live their whole life working in this way just to be thrown into a fire. And look at that next part. And it's not from the Lord that nations weary themselves for nothing. That your whole, your whole national identity on judgment day, they'll say, that was worthless. Your whole personal identity on judgment day, in the fire. Now, Somebody said, I thought he said this was comforting. Yeah, it's sort of comforting that way that you, you bonked your finger and going to drill a hole in it and get you some relief. It's that kind of comfort. Find verse 13 entirely comforting. There's a promise in verse 13 and 14, rather. The promise, especially verse 14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. When I read that verse in Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse number 14, I hear that beautiful passage, you know, in Philippians. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. The glory of the Lord is going to fill the earth. 
Now, why is this comforting in the middle of all this condemnation? Because for those, for those who have repented through the Lord Jesus and are walking with him as his people who are, who are living by their faith, who are living by their faith in the middle of a corrupt world, that will be a glorious moment where we'll be so relieved that the foolishness is over, but for everybody else it'll be a terrible moment. The time to repent will be done. So right in the middle of these condemnations, God throws out some comfort. The condemnations aren't over. Look at verse 15. There's another condemnation. Verse 15, he starts talking to him about, woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. It's in other words, live this debauched lifestyle and show that you're not in covenant relationship with God. I mean, do you guys realize how strong this language is? He says, get drunk and show your naked self and show that you're not circumcised, thus not in covenant with God. But he could easily say, Live like this and prove you don't walk with the living God. Now, I haven't been able to look into the Lamb's Book a lot, but I've been through God's workshop, and I've walked through God's garden, and I know what fruit and works are. And what he's clearly telling these Chaldeans, he's like, y'all are worldly, and you're showing you don't walk with God. Not only that, you have made debauchery look normal. You've made it look normal to the point that you pass off debauchery into the places you count, conquer. You ever want a picture of this? Read Romans 1. But when I look at America, I see this. I mean, we applaud. We, we applaud drunkenness. We applaud druggery. We applaud uh, every sort of sexual sin you can think. We applaud it. How do I know? Because that's the center of all our television shows. The intrigue of sin. It's our, it's our norm. It's our norm. You don't know why they don't have any shows about normal family? Because our culture is so debauched that we think that's boring. You know why the news don't tell good stories? Because there's not enough debauchery involved. We've lost it as a nation. It's crazy. In condemnation number five, is that they're idolaters. <laughs> and I love the way God speaks to Habakkuk here. He says, ah, oh, just look at these guys. When they, you know, when, 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 when times get tough, they're going to they're gonna tell something made out of wood to wake up, something out of stone to stand up. He says, is that going to work? The condemnation, basically, is that they worship what they made and miss the one who made them. Oh, my goodness. Inordinate greed, a hunger to dominate, horrible methods for selfish ends, debauchery as the cultural norm, and worshiping what we made instead of him who made us. I don't know how y'all feel, but I feel like this could be written to America today. Present tense. And I love being an American. I love it. Who goes on his anniversary to look for historical markers? You have to be so hyper-nerd. I did it yesterday. I mean, I love America. You know, I still stand up and put my hand over my heart. I take my hat off. I still sing the national anthem. I love America. But America needs a revival. 
We got to stop thinking we're going to legislate immoral people into being moral people. What I hear when I read this is God saying, let me comfort you. I'm going to get the bad people. Let me challenge you. Don't be one. Better make sure where I find you on judgment day. Am I going to find you standing, walking by faith, living by faith? Am I going to find you characterized by these other things? And I'm going to tell you right now, you know, I'm proud to be American where at least I know I'm free. I'm that guy I don't forget, you know. My brother died. He died in an accident. He died when I was in the army. My wife would tell you, on his birthday, on the day he died, on, on, on Memorial Day, you'll find me. I'm out of his grave. I'm that guy that reads the, you know, reads the inscriptions on statues to find out what, they're, what they were thinking about. I love America, but I don't want to be known as this sort of American. If I was a Chaldean, and God brought this condemnation on me, and I could get the clarity to see how true it was, I'd say, Lord, I don't want to be known as a Chaldean anymore. If this is what that is, I don't want to be it. You reap what you sow unless you repent before the Savior. So there's this beautiful command. The command is you learn to wait and worship God and trust. You learn to wait and worship God. Wait, your God is going to render powerless all the powers that depend upon themselves. He is, he is going to prove the silence of the idols. You know what he says? He says, your idols don't talk, so y'all watch me. I, I, I'm alive. I'm not a dead thing. I'm alive, and I'm going to act, and I'm going to act on behalf of my people. And so that leaves us with a question. <laughs> How are you going to live? How are you going to live? How are you going to live? Here's just a bit of a sample from Ezekiel 33. I realize the time has gone by. Y'all look like a truck just hit y'all. I tell you. <laughs> and I don't mean it like that. I just don't. Here's a sample from Ezekiel 10, beginning, excuse me, Ezekiel 33, beginning at verse 10. And you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, all right, tells the prophet, say this to them, okay? Thus have you said, surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we rot away because of them. How then can we live? All right, say to them, Say, he says, prophet, tell them that I heard them when they said they see their sin so clearly that they feel hopeless. I heard them. All right. Verse 11, Ezekiel 33, 11. Now say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die? Listen to this. O house of Israel. He is telling his people in the midst of this, this cultural calamity. He's saying, y'all don't live like that. Turn back. Repent. Be different sort of people. And right now, I'm afraid we've got patriotism confused with faith. And we're going to have to figure out what faith is and then figure out what patriotism is, not patriotism and then faith. What does it look like to really walk with Jesus in this world? So where's the condemnation? The condemnation are on those wicked people who don't walk with the Lord. Where's the comfort? God's going to deal with the wicked. Where's the challenge? Where are you getting your identity from right now? This still goes back to Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. The just shall live by his or her faith. Now, did any of you say personally that all these things characterize you personally? You know, 
any means necessary, hunger to dominate, pursuit of inordinate greed, all these things. Can you, maybe, maybe not. But I think the, the question to ask is, am I walking by faith? Is my faith in Jesus Christ the thing that controls and dominates my life? So it's not about identifying that you're not doing all the bad stuff. Just ask yourself that one powerful question. Does Jesus lead my life? And in leading my life, is it leading me to be like him, or do I just say Jesus leads my life and I'm a good American? You see the difference in that? Condemnation is on the wicked. The comforts to the children of God. The challenge is to say, which one are we most like right now? Father, thank you for the opportunity to share from your word. I confess, Father, it's, it's a difficult word. It's a difficult word. But Father, I, I think we need difficult words sometimes. We need to take a good long look at ourselves sometimes and decide are we playing at our faith or are we taking it serious? Are we waiting for the coming king with eager expectation or are we more excited about what we're going to do this weekend? Do we think politicians have to fix something for our lives to be better or can we find contentment with you? Lord, I cannot speak for my brothers and sisters in this room, but I can easily see how there are times when I put being an American above being a Christian. And I want to put being a disciple of Jesus first in my life. I believe the gospel is the only hope for our nation. And I pray you send a revival in your church. And Father, I humbly ask you to let it begin in me and let it begin right here in East Rock. And let's do a work for your glory for our good. In Jesus I pray. Amen.